It's not us versus them, but us with them. What gifts is God giving you? This here's a labor of love. Work them God-given ideas till they come true. Stuck inside these walls. Life ain't hallways and classrooms. This here's the real world where bells don't save you. Christ do. But what if I told you Jesus was already famous? Emmanuel gave his life. Gave his life for you. And go make him famous. Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Really glad to see you this morning. Welcome to those of you over in East Hall. Uh, I feel like saying welcome back because most of you took a snow day last Sunday, which is understandable, but it's good to have you back. All right. We have a theme for this year and our theme is to make Jesus famous. In the last few weeks, we've been talking about how. How is that going to happen? How do we make Jesus famous? We're moving in concentric circles. We started with making Jesus famous at home to the people God has put right in front of you. And then last week, making Jesus famous in our communities, which are really the groups that we hang with, that we study with, that we work with, that we play with. And then this week is making Jesus famous in our region and in our world, in our region and our world. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Uh, There's kind of a famous scene where Jesus has died on the cross and he's resurrected and he's about to ascend into heaven and he gathers his disciples around and he gives them their marching orders. It's called the Great Commission. This is what it reads. This is beginning of verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. It's very inspiring. It's also a little outrageous. I think Matthew even recognizes the outrageousness of it because he names how many disciples there were at that moment. There were 11, 11 guys. And Jesus marching orders to them is to go into all the nations and make disciples. These are guys who had scarcely been out of Galilee, let alone Asia or Europe or Africa. Of course, you know, it's like Jesus huddled them up and said, everybody put their hands in. It's right before I'm about to go. Hands in, all the nations on three. Ready? One, two, three. All the nations, right? And then Jesus leaves. How are they going to do it? Maybe the more important question is, how are we going to do it? How are we supposed to do it? Uh, before we tell you where we're going, as far as where we feel like God is taking us to reach this region and the world, I need to kind of review a little bit of where God has had us where we've been. We built this building in the year 2000. Uh, What's that? 18 and a half years ago, right? A little bit more. And uh, when we built this sanctuary, we thought, oh, this would be great because our entire church will be able to worship in one service. That's all we'll need. We'll just be great from now on. And then we had to go to two services and then quickly three services on a Sunday morning. And after we went to three services on Sunday morning, we thought, well, our next step is to take a Saturday night and start a service on Saturday night. So we did that. 
And when those filled up, we thought, oh, I don't know what to do now. But then we got the idea, maybe we could start a venue across the atrium in East Hall. Because maybe we could get people to have live worship there and then have it come up, have the sermon come up on the screen, and people might actually buy in. And those of you who are at East Hall, thank you for buying in. Right? And so we did that. And that helped us to maximize this building and uh, actually reach as many people as we possibly could here. And once we decided that people, we found out people would walk across the hall to go to church, we thought maybe people would do that across town. And that's when the idea of campuses came. Though we could start a campus of Christ Community Chapel in Stowe or Aurora or Highland Square, and people could go there and they have live worship and then the sermon might come up on the screen and that would still be like Christ Community Chapel in a remote location, right? And so we started those campuses. And the idea was that we could get more apples from an orchard than from a single tree. That was the idea, right? That a church is like a single tree that bears fruit, you know, and it doesn't matter how big the single tree gets or how many apples a single tree can produce, an orchard can produce more. So we started doing that. And then about two years ago, I feel like God started to, was trying to tell me something about church planting, and I couldn't figure it out. Because church planting is a little bit different than a church campus. A campus, you know, I told you, it's, we wanted people who walked in to know that they were in a Christ Community Chapel, whether it was Stowe or Aurora or Hudson. Right? It's to make a crass kind of example, it'd be like a, a Panera. Right? You always know when you walk into a Panera. But uh, a church plant is more like a local coffee house where each one could be absolutely unique to that particular community. And we really didn't know anything about church planting. And so I was praying about it, and those of you who have heard me talk about how I discern God's will for my life or the kind of the direction of the church have heard me use the analogy of a jigsaw puzzle, that there are pieces that float around for a little bit, and then finally I see God put them together and the right pieces fit in the right place, and I can finally see. So I knew that there was something that God was trying to tell me about church planning, but I didn't know what, so I was praying. I was meeting with different people. I met with Jeff Bogue over at Grace Church in Fairlawn, and talked about what he was doing and whether we could cooperate with what he was doing. I talked with Ryan Johnston down in the chapel in North Canton to see what they were doing. And then we gave some money to some church plants in Akron and in Toledo, but it still didn't seem like I was understanding. And then I met a guy named Zach Wyrock. Zach and Amy Wyrock planted a church in Cleveland called City Church. And they did it seven years ago, and this is the way they did it. And I love this story, so I'm going to tell it to you. So they knew they wanted to plant a church, but they wanted to plant a church in a place where there wasn't a gospel-preaching church in the area. And they had never been to Cleveland before, so they show up and they uh, go to University Circle and they go to the visitor center there and they, they ask the lady there, hey, we're new in town, we're looking for an evangelical church. And the lady said, what's that? And they said, well, you know, it's a church that teaches that the Bible's true and that Jesus is the way to God. And the lady laughed. And she said, no one believes that around here. Here's a list of 10 churches, but none of them will teach what you just said. And so Zach and Amy said, we're home. And they planted City Church. City Church grew to 500. They planted another church in Ohio City. They're planting a third church in North Collinwood later on this year. So I began to meet with Zach to kind of pick his brain about church planting because he was somebody who was passionate about church planting, but he knew it not just at a theoretical level, but at a very practical level because he had lived it and done it. 
And I never met anybody that kind of understood it like that. And as we talked and as we met, I started to get this inkling that maybe God was trying to tell me that Christ Community Chapel was right in the right spot historically, right here, that God has brought us here to do something special, to not only be involved with church planting, but actually kind of be the ones that, that train church planters and equip them and resource them and deploy them, and so we actually could move the needle in Northeast Ohio. And at one point in one of my conversations with Zach, I Sort of feel like, uh, you know, the Old Testament story where Pharaoh has some dreams and Joseph comes and interprets those dreams. And Joseph, when he interprets the dreams for Pharaoh, he also gives him a plan of what he should do. And Pharaoh says, who better than this guy to do, to enact this plan? And so I went to Zach and I said, listen, if, if we start this thing, and I want to call it Orchard, N-E-O. Orchard, Northeast Ohio. It's going to be about church planning, about training and, and equipping and resourcing and deploying. Is there any chance, and I thought this was a long shot, is there any chance that if we do this, that you would head it up, that you would do it all? And to my delight and surprise, Zach said, absolutely. If you will, if Christ Community Chapel will do what you say you'll do, then I will run Orchard NEO. And it will be something that I will pour my life into because it will be the very best way for me to spend my life in planting churches. And so I wanted you to hear from Zach for the rest of our time this morning. I've asked Zach to come and kind of share with you what he was sharing with me about uh, why it's so important, why church planting is so important, why we are the ones to do it, and then why we need to do it. All right, so... Please welcome Zach Wyrock to our stage and to our staff. Thanks, Zach. Well, it's nice to finally meet you. Like Joe said, I've been working here since July, but they just let me out of my office. So it's nice to be around real people and uh, talking with you this morning. You know, Joe talked about that passage at the end of Matthew that we often call the Great Commission where Jesus tells his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples uh, like them to go all over and tell people of God's love for them that he's shown through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to talk to you about that great commission uh, here, and I want to use three points to do that. So if you're a note taker, you can jot these down. Otherwise, just kind of have these as a frame of reference. And I'm going to refer to the great commission as our it, and I want to show you three things. First, it can happen, that the Great Commission is meant to be fulfilled. It's meant to be accomplished. It can be done. Second, I want you to see that we can do it. Here at CCC, we can help to fulfill the Great Commission. And then third, we must do it. Not only can we, we, we must move forward in fulfilling the Great Commission. Let me start with number one, it can be done. You know, what's interesting to me is that when Jesus gives his disciples this massive mission, and he tells them, I want you to go all over the world, and that's amazing because at this time, there are no cars or planes or trains. There's no internet, no cell phones, and he tells them, I want you to go all over the world. I want you to cross racial lines, ethnic lines, cultural lines. I want you to go to places where they don't speak the same language as you, places you didn't even know existed. Go 
everywhere and tell everyone. And not just tell them, but tell them everything that I've told you, which is a lot, and tell them in such a convincing way that they would too want to become my disciples, even getting baptized. What I find amazing is when Jesus tells them all of that, nobody asks any questions. When Jesus says that, you're going to go all over and you're going to make disciples of all the nations. Nobody shoots up a hand and says, uh, how? Or are you sure we're the right people for that? No one blinks. Now, what's amazing about that is, first, it's a very big thing Jesus tells them to do, so questions would make sense, concerns would make sense, but the second thing is, if you've read the Gospels at all, you know asking questions and arguing is something these guys do best. They do this all the time, like when 5,000 people show up to hear Jesus preach and Jesus says, let's feed them. They don't say, oh, sure, Jesus. They say, we can't feed them. Look at how many people there are. How are we going to feed them? When they visit a village and the village doesn't listen to Jesus' preaching and they don't really like Jesus, they don't just keep walking. They say, hey, Jesus, let's call down fire from the sky and destroy them. These are the kind of people we're dealing with. So it's amazing to me when Jesus says, all right, guys, I'm leaving, you're staying, and when, when I'm gone, I want you to go everywhere and tell people about me. It is amazing to me that they don't ask questions, they don't argue, they don't even blink. In fact, not only do they not do those things, they actually do the opposite. If you pick up the story in the book of Acts, they go up to an upper room and they pray. The Holy Spirit falls. And again, no hesitation. They hit the streets and they begin enacting this great commission. They begin taking on the mission that Jesus has given them. Even so much so that they begin to preach the gospel. Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2. This is a loose paraphrase of his sermon. He says, hey, God loves you. He sent his son, and you're so bad you murdered him. But that's okay. If you trust in him, God will forgive you. That's a loose paraphrase of Acts chapter 2. And when they get, when he preaches, 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus, become Christians, and they instantly do this they start a church. Instantly, their response is to start a church. Look with me at Acts chapter 2. If you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2. Look at verses 42 through 48 with me. I want you to see this. Jesus gives them a mission. The Holy Spirit comes. They preach. They gather, and they plant a church. Listen to what it says. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, if you notice, if you read those few verses, what you hear there is a church. 
They gathered together. They dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching, which we would call the New Testament, the story of what God had done in Jesus. There was preaching and teaching. They prayed together. They worshiped together. It even says they broke bread together, which is probably a double reference to the fact that they ate together and did life together, but then also even took communion together. And so I want you to entertain is the idea that when Jesus told them, go into all the nations and make disciples, that the reason why no one blinks And the reason why no one asks any questions is because Jesus had made it clear to them that the way the Great Commission was going to be fulfilled was that they would preach, they would gather, and they would start churches. And in fact, if you read the book of Acts, they do this over and over again. They preach, they gather up those who believe, and they begin local churches. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the New Testament is really about church planting. The letters that you read are written to church plants. They're written to the church in Colossae or the church in Ephesus or the church in Rome or the church in Corinth, or as you know them, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Romans. The letters to Timothy and Titus are letters to church planters, guys who have started churches in Ephesus and in Crete and are now pastoring them. Even the book of Revelation, which if we're honest gets a little weird, begins with letters to seven churches. You see, the New Testament makes clear that when Jesus says, go into all the nations and make disciples, there are a lot of ways we can go about that. But the primary way that the Bible intends, the God-ordained biblical way that Jesus told his disciples to fulfill the Great Commission was to go into neighborhoods, to preach the gospel, to gather those who believe, and to start local churches. The Great Commission can be fulfilled because the fulfillment of the Great Commission is starting churches in neighborhoods that will tell people about Jesus. It's always been that way from when Jesus huddled up his disciples till today. The work is about starting local churches that point people to Jesus. It can be done. The second thing I want you to see is we can do it. I wonder if I asked you if you thought that Northeast Ohio, if you, if you thought Northeast Ohio needed more churches, what would you say? You, you might say, well, I don't know if that's true because after all, people can come here. We've got a lot of space. We've got a big parking lot. People are welcome here. They can always come to CCC. Or you might say, on my drive here to CCC, I passed a lot of churches. We, we have plenty of churches. I know they were churches because they had steeples on their buildings or because they had not-so-funny jokes on their signs. And a bad sense of humor is a dead giveaway for Christianity. So I know they're Christian churches. We don't need more churches in Northeast Ohio, but I'm here to tell you today that's not true. In fact, Joe told you I've been on staff since July, and uh, my team has been working on a lot of research to try to figure out what the state of the church is in Northeast Ohio. So we know, for example, that there are 130 different neighborhoods in Northeast Ohio of at least 5,000 people or more. So you can take Northeast Ohio and you can divide it up into 130 neighborhoods with each neighborhood having at least 5,000 people. Do you know how many of those neighborhoods don't have effective gospel preaching churches? 
89 of them, 89 of them, 89 neighborhoods of at least 5,000 people where we cannot find an effective gospel preaching church. In case you're not great at math, let me help you. 89 out of 130 is 68%. Now, I'm comfortable with those numbers because that's about what I would have scored on a math test in high school. 68% of the neighborhoods in Northeast Ohio do not have a place in their neighborhood where you can go to hear about Jesus, which means that far from worrying about how we might fulfill the Great Commission globally, although we should think about that and pray for that and work towards that, we haven't even fulfilled the Great Commission in Northeast Ohio. 68% of our neighborhoods don't have a local gospel preaching church, but I believe we can start one there. In fact, the mission of Orchard NEO is to start 89 churches. The mission of Orchard NEO is to make it so every neighborhood in Northeast Ohio, no matter where you come from, there is a church in your neighborhood that looks like you and feels like you, but holds out the gospel of Jesus to you just like this one does. We can do that. Let me give you two reasons why I believe we can do that. The first reason is because no matter whether or not we think that job is too big for us or too much for us, even if you hear 89 churches and you think, no way, that'll take forever. There's no way we could get that done. Here's the reality. The story of the Bible has always been the story of God doing extraordinary things through ordinary people. That has always been the way it works. God doesn't scan the earth and find the most impressive people and then handpick them for his mission. He uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. In fact, think of the disciples, the ones Jesus huddles up and says, all right, guys, you're going to go into all the nations. You can't name all 11 of them. And the reason why you can't is because at least seven of them, we don't know anything about them other than their names. They don't do anything impressive. They just exist. That's what they do. And the ones whose names you do know, a lot of times that's for negative reasons. You don't know Thomas because he led a great Bible study. You know Thomas because he doubted. A lot of us don't know Peter because he wrote books of the Bible. We know Peter because he denied Jesus. But when Jesus gathers them up and says, okay, guys, you 11, you are going to take the gospel all over the world. He's putting an emphasis on the fact that the hope is not in their ability, but in their connection to him. Because the Bible is always about ordinary people being used by God to do extraordinary things. But let me give you a second reason why I think we can do this. CCC is not actually an ordinary church. It's not. And, and maybe you don't have a sense of that because if you grew up here or you've been coming here for a while, it might be tempting to think that what is normal here is normal everywhere, but that's not the case. Let me give you a metaphor that'll help make sense of this. I have five children, which means my life is a blur, and it's amazing I have pants on today. And I have five kids, and I know they're growing all the time, but, but I can't really see it, mostly because I'm half asleep all the time. And so I have five kids, and they're growing, but I don't see it. They look the same to me today as they did yesterday, as they did the day before. And I often lose perspective as to how my kids are getting older until I'm around someone who hasn't seen my kids for a while. 
And then when they see them, they're like, oh, wow, your kids, you know, look at this kid or that kid. They're getting so big. And then I re-look at them, and I'm like, wow, I'm getting old. They are getting big. I get perspective. So let me tell you, maybe be like that visiting relative to say to you, if you have lost perspective, let me help you find it again. What's happened here and is happening here at CCC is extraordinary. It's amazing. And let me just point out a couple of the ways that what's happening here is amazing and is particularly helpful to starting 89 churches all over Northeast Ohio. Like, for example, the people you have coming. Like, I told you there are 130 neighborhoods in Northeast Ohio of at least 5,000 people, right? And there are 89 of those neighborhoods that don't have an effective gospel preaching church. 16 of those 89, so 130 total, 89 don't have a church, 16 of the 89 that don't have a church, 16 of those neighborhoods are neighborhoods of at least 25,000 people. So you're talking about heavily culture-shaping, culture-influencing neighborhoods in Northeast Ohio with lots of people. 16 neighborhoods of at least 25,000 people where we can find 100 people who are coming to CCC regularly. Think about that. 16 neighborhoods with 25,000 people in them where there is not a gospel preaching church in that neighborhood. So that if a person woke up on a Sunday morning and said, hey, I think today I'll go hear about Jesus, they couldn't. A place like that does not exist in their neighborhood. And yet there are 100 people leaving that neighborhood every Sunday or Saturday night to come here. Where else is that true? What I hear is that there are 16 churches in waiting coming here. That overnight, if we could find 16 church planters to go start churches overnight, we could radically change the gospel climate of Northeast Ohio just by saying to those people, hey, stay in your neighborhood. Go to church in your neighborhood. Be around your neighbors. Make Jesus famous there. I don't know where else that's true. It's true here, though. Let me give you another way that CCC is extraordinary your resources. And it's part of the church planning code that if you get a chance to talk in front of people, you got to talk about money. And the reality is you have a lot of it here. And that's not a reason to be ashamed. That's a reason to be mindful of the fact that God has given you resources that He wants to use for the kingdom. So not only do you have people coming from all over Northeast Ohio, but look around. You, you have a lot of resources as well. That's extraordinary. But let me give you another thing that's even more extraordinary, and that is the culture that exists here. You see, there are a lot of churches, well, maybe not a lot of churches. There are other churches that have as many people as you do, and there are other churches that have as much money as you do, but I've never been around a church like this one where the culture is so open-handed, where the mindset is, hey, God puts things in our hand, whether it's people or, or money or resources of another kind. God gives us things so that we can give them, and God puts them in, and He uses them, and then He puts more in, and He uses them. I've never been around a place like that. The tendency in churches, even this size, when a church planter shows up, is to start gathering things and holding on to them. Don't take our people. Don't take our stuff. Don't take our things. Don't take our money, but not here. 
In fact, when Joe and I were talking about what would eventually become Orchard, there were times I just wanted to poke him to see if he was real. And he said, Zach, if you were going to run Orchard, what would your non-negotiables be? And I said, well, here's one. I'd have to be able to walk into any room, staff members, volunteers, leaders, givers, whoever. I'd have to be able to walk into any room and say, hey, we're starting a church in your neighborhood. I need you to stop coming here. And you'd have to be okay with it. And he said, that sounds great. And I thought, you don't really mean that. And so about a month later, he asked me to speak to the staff at kind of a staff training event. And I thought, you know, I'm really going to test this out. And so I got up and I started speaking. And out of the corner of my eye, just like I'm doing here this morning, I kept a corner of my eye on Joe just to make sure the floor wasn't going to open up underneath me or somebody wasn't going to physically remove me from the stage. And I said, hey, thanks so much for letting me talk to you, CCC staff. Here's one thing I want you to know right now. Some of you, I need you to leave this church. I need you to go start one. I need you to go with someone who's starting one. I need you to be ready for when we start a church in your neighborhood for you to stay there. And I kept waiting for somebody to get angry or somebody to throw something or someone to say that's enough or just to, in like a Christian way, kind of passive aggressively stare me down. But it didn't happen. Nobody blinked. Everybody said, hey, yeah, we're, we're on board. If that's what God's doing, that's what we want to do. And listen, you may say, yeah, that's how CCC is. That's just the air we breathe. That is so rare. But let me give you another way. You, you, you make CCC extraordinary because in order to plant churches, it takes all kinds of people. It takes people who live in the neighborhoods. Listen, if you live in one of those 16 neighborhoods where there is no church and there's 25,000 people, you are more important to me right now than anyone else in this room because we're never gonna be able to plant a church in your neighborhood if you won't be part of it. But some of you are willing to move into neighborhoods with a church plan. I need that. There may even be someone here who's like, I want to plant a church. I need that. We need that. But others of you would say, hey, I, I'm not going to move and I'm not going to plant, but I'll give. I'll pray. When you bring church planters here to train them, I'll encourage them. I'll take them to dinner. Some of you say, hey, I know real estate or insurance or the law, and that's great because when we plant churches, we've got to buy or rent buildings, and we need to know what happens if we blow them up. And you can help with those things. Church planting takes a lot of different skills and a lot of different expertise, and that's what's great at CCC. You have all those things. And so what I'm trying to impress upon you is that the Great Commission can be done. You do it by planting local churches, and we can do that. And not only can we do that, we are uniquely equipped to do that. There are things true here that need to be true in order to plant 89 churches, and they're all true here, and that they're just not all true at a lot of other churches. God has made that happen here. We can do it. We can. But number three, we must. We must do it. Listen, my goal today is not that you leave here saying, hey, that church planning stuff is pretty exciting. I mean, that guy's a little crazy, and I can't believe he tricked Joe into hiring him, but that church planning stuff is pretty, pretty interesting. I, I, that's not a win for me. A win for me is when you can't sleep tonight because you're burdened by the fact that 68% of the neighborhoods in your region don't have a gospel preaching church. A win for me is when you drive home today and you can't shake the reality that you didn't pass 
any churches. Or like in my neighborhood, you can't shake the fact that the church buildings you passed are now condos or community centers because nobody gathers there to talk about Jesus anymore. We need to go from we can to we must. There needs to be an urgency, a burden. Uh, The metaphor I think of is like, for example, I know that I have money right now that could be used to help people in need. I, I know that intellectually. I know I have money in my, with my debit card and my credit card. I mean, I haven't carried cash since like 1998, but, but I have access to money that I know could help people in need. But that's not the same as having a child in front of me who needs food or clothes or shelter. In that moment, I wouldn't think about my budget. I wouldn't call my wife and see what she thought. I, I wouldn't pray about it. I'd scoop that child up and I would leverage everything I had for them. And I wouldn't say, I can do this. I would say, I must do this. And that's what I need us to get with church planting. How? Why would we f- say we must? Let me give you a couple of reasons. The first one is people who die apart from Jesus face God's judgment and an eternity separated from God in hell. Now, I know we believe that theologically. We would articulate that on a theological exam. We get that conceptually, but often that doesn't inform the way we live. We, we say that's true, but we don't necessarily live as though that's true. But in order for church planning to be a must, we would have to start to really believe that that's true. Like, for example, the fact that you could go to the visitor center in my neighborhood and say, where can I go to hear about Jesus? And the answer back would be nowhere. No one does that here. There are 65,000 people in my neighborhood. That's 65,000 people that even if they woke up and said, I want to hear about Jesus today, there's nowhere for them to go. Well, there is now, but there wasn't. That's got to matter to us. What happens to those 65,000 people? And the thing is that it's not that they're not spiritually curious. Their spiritual curiosity will take them to temples and synagogues and mosques and buildings with crosses on them that won't tell them about Jesus. They will satiate their curiosity somewhere, but that somewhere won't lead them to Jesus. That has to matter to us. Simply having found a place where our families like to hear about Jesus isn't enough. That's great if you found that at CCC. I can imagine why you would. This is a fantastic church. But what about those other neighborhoods? What about those other people? What about them? They matter. The second reason why we must plant churches is because those people, people apart from Jesus, are far less likely to drive to different neighborhoods to go to church. I, I, I have this principle in my own mind where my wife says, Zach, let's go do something. Based on whether or not I want to do it, I add or take time away from how long it'll take to get there. So if my wife says, Zach, let's go to Beachwood and go shopping, I'm like, man, Beachwood, that's like a three-hour drive with traffic, you know? I mean, it can get crazy. But if my wife's like, hey, let's go to that Cajun place you like just outside of Beachwood, I'm like, oh, we'd be there in 10 minutes. Let's go. People who don't know Jesus find reasons not to drive to Hudson to go to church. 
And some of you know this experientially because you invite your friends or family members or neighbors and you can't mobilize them. Look, I live in Cleveland Heights right now. Before I met Joe, I wasn't sure what existed east of 271. It was like one of those old-time maps where it just said, there be dragons. You know, I don't know what's out there. I knew in the fall we, you could apple pick out there somewhere, but beyond that, I, I didn't know. How much more so are my unbelieving neighbors less likely to drive to Hudson to go to church? When my wife and I moved to Cleveland, one of our next-door neighbors was a lady named Maritza. She's an incredible woman. She was a, the single mom to a three-year-old boy She was getting her MD simultaneously while she got her PhD in genetics. She was like Wonder Woman. And when my wife met her for the first time, Maritza said, why did you guys move to Cleveland? Clevelanders are always fascinated when anyone moves to Cleveland. So what brought you guys here? And Amy said, oh, we we moved here to start a church. And Maritza said, oh, okay, what kind of church? And that can be kind of a loaded question, so we just decided to answer back, a, a Jesus church. And Maritza said, oh, Jesus. She said, you know, I know the name, but I don't know anything about him. Now, Maritza's problem wasn't that she lived in some remote village that missionaries just hadn't gotten to yet. Her problem wasn't a lack of education or a lack of intellect or even a lack of intellectual curiosity. Her problem was there wasn't anyone in her neighborhood there to tell her about Jesus. How many more Maritzas are in Northeast Ohio? How likely is it that they will drive here to come to church? Joe told me that last Easter you guys had like 10,000 people on Sunday. I can't even wrap my mind around that. That's like how many are left in a Browns game in the fourth quarter. <laughs> I, I just can't even get my mind around 10,000 people. And so it could be tempting to say, hey, aren't we doing our part? I mean, 10,000 people came here. 10,000 people heard about Jesus. That, that is a lot for one church to do. We're doing our part. And look, praise God, you are doing amazing things. That's amazing. I'm so glad that if 10,000 people went anywhere, they went here. I'm so glad for that. But you see, it's all about which number you choose to focus on. Because that really means that about 1.39 million people in Northeast Ohio were not here. And many of them weren't anywhere. And in order to engage them with the gospel... We're going to need not to sit here in Hudson and wait for them to come. We're going to have to go to them. And we're going to have to start something in their neighborhood that looks like them and that feels like them, that meets in a place where they know and they're comfortable, that will tell them about Jesus. We must. But here's another reason why we must, and let me end with this. If it's true that God has uniquely equipped this church, that he has given this church people and resources and a culture. Let me ask you a question. Why has God done that? 
He, he could have done that anywhere. Why has he done all the amazing things he's done at CCC? Why has he done them here? Here's what I believe. I believe God has done all the amazing things he's done at CCC just for this moment, just for this mission, that the God-ordained plan for the life of this church and for the lives of those of us who are here is to spend our lives seeing 89 become 79, become 69, become 59, 49, and so on, so that when we die, we might say, no matter where you live in Northeast Ohio, there is a place in your neighborhood that will tell you about Jesus. No one else can aim that high. We can, because God has enabled us to, therefore we must. We must begin to think about individual neighborhoods and individual people who need to hear about Jesus. Listen, let me just say this. The difference between orchard planting 89 churches or eight or nine churches is you. It's whether or not you can get excited about this, whether or not you can get behind it, whether or not you would say, it can be done, sure, we could do it, sure, but whether or not you'll say, we must do this for the glory of Jesus and the good of our neighbor, we must plant churches. Let's pray. Father God, do extraordinary things through orchard in spite of the very ordinariness of the people who work there and the people I'm talking to now. We, we know whatever it is that CCC could boast about has been given to this church by you. We don't take any credit for it. I certainly don't take any credit for it. But we also understand what you've done, you've done to leverage for the glory of Jesus. God, help us put our yes on the table for whatever that might look like for us in church planting. In his name we pray, amen.